I want to welcome everyone to Sunday Night Clinics. We are a forum of positive, honest exchanges for the betterment of players and families. And in cooperation with Masters of Baseball, our agenda is to help players all over the country in today's youth baseball environment. This conversation is positive information to help you. Our talk is to help players and families grow in our great game. This form of baseball talk and sharing philosophies and beliefs is for you, the player, the family member, the youth and high school college coaches, a forum for all of us to grow as people and as coaches. Tonight, we're lucky enough to have Wagner College head coach, Craig Noto. I've been lucky enough to know Craig for many years, met him. Uh, out in California when he was at LIU Brooklyn as their recruiting coordinator and assistant coach uh, at many events. And uh, Craig has uh, stood out to me as an a, a outstanding evaluator and just a guy that knows baseball, loves it with a passion. Uh, he's been a coach for 28 years uh, a couple of his big stops were the Wisconsin Rapid Rafters uh, of the Northwoods League, where he won titles there. Uh, he was an assistant at LIU Brooklyn for eight years uh, in those 28 years. Craig, welcome to the show. Good evening, Butch. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me and uh, want to send a thank you out to Walter and everybody else for attending this evening. Let's uh, let's just jump right in and talk about uh, this new job that you just got over the last year at uh, at Wagner College. Can you tell us about what your responsibilities now are, how you're trying to build this program, and just things that about you that you know are going to pertain to Wagner College? Well, you know, people always ask me, you know, how I'm going to build the program here at Wagner. And truth be told, it's been a competitive program for a long time. I don't think there's as much building here as people may think, even though we're, we're in a year where we do have a lot of, you know, young players and, you know, guys due to COVID that haven't played a lot in the past couple of years that are finally getting an opportunity to play with some older players out of their way. Um, you know, I took the position over last June after working under Jim Carone, who's a head coach now at McDaniel University. And Jim, it seems like Jim is on the call with us. And, um, you know, without him, I wouldn't have had this opportunity. Jim had come to me six years ago and offered me an opportunity to to come back into the Division One level after I left LIU and I was managing up in the Northwoods. And, you know, for me, it was – it was an opportunity to get back in the dugout with a great guy, uh, someone who I respected, um, who I thought did a really good job with, with his program. And I was really grateful for that opportunity at the time. So, you know, Butch, when people say building the program, Wagner's been a pretty good program for a long time, and I don't feel we're far off from where we want to be. Okay, let's talk about your recruiting and your philosophy on recruiting. Um, where 
do you want to be a nationwide program? Are you strictly trying to do the Northeast? What, what, what are you trying to get done there at Wagner? Well, I think in the environment that we're in now, um, players more than ever are used to traveling more and more all over the country to play the game. And kids are at a younger age are getting exposed uh, to different regions of the country as to where 20 years ago plus they weren't getting that opportunity. Baseball was more localized. So I think as a program, you don't really have a choice but to get out there on a national level and, and broaden the recruiting talent pool. Okay. So when you're, when you're out recruiting, you know, usually we have a lot of kids on here that listen and parents and they're always trying to get tips on how, you know, what people are looking for. What, what are you looking for to become a player at Wagner? I mean, obviously at the division one level yet you have to find, you have to find players that you feel can transition and play at all level and possibly beyond. So the athleticism, the physicality, um, the baseball IQ, the awareness for the game, those are all things that you're kind of looking on a superficial level, you know, as far as talent goes. But to be a successful Division I athlete, you also have to be a good student. Uh, you got to be organized. You have to be mature. You have to be proactive. You have to be somebody who is a self-starter and understands the importance of taking care of business on and off the field. So, you know, it's not just an athletic view. We're also looking for the academic end. We're looking for the personality. We're looking for the family, uh, the support staff, the programs they come from. Uh, there's so many factors that go into making a decision on different players um, and how they fit your program. Um, and I really believe that there's a right fit for everyone as there is players that are right fit for our program. How, uh, how aggressive are you going to get in the transfer portal? Well, I think, again, in this environment that we're in with the transfer portal, it's something that you have to look at daily, daily, and you need to explore some of the options that come across the screen on a, on a daily basis. Um, I think if you're not using the transfer portal, you're probably doing your program a disservice at this point with the abundance of availability of older players and, to some extent, even a lot of proven players so I think it takes some of the guesswork out with certain guys and I think it's a tool that could be very useful to help a program I just don't know if you can live on the transfer portal alone to build your program and sustain your program let's let's talk about you and your coaching uh, prowess you know you're you're thought of as a good offensive uh, hitting coach. And I know at, at Wagner, you have this thing called the professional hitter. Could, could you uh, speak uh, to this professional hitter philosophy of yours? Well, it's really just, it's a mindset that we want to build into guys, you know, and, you know, I think the, 
I think the best hitters are the confident ones. Uh, I think the confident ones are the most prepared ones. And what we try to do with guys is put them in a position where when they walk in a box, they feel confident in a plan that they have and being able to execute it based on the work that they put in prior to getting into game. So, you know, the professional hitter to me is someone who is confident in their ability to step in the box and compete at a high level. Okay. Can you, you know, expand on that? I mean, when you're, when you, when you talk about professional hitter, you know, you're striving to find a guy that plays to win, never giving in to his opponent. I mean, how, how big is the, the competitive, uh, you know, key to the professional hitter for you? Well, competitiveness is huge in the box. If if you're not willing to go in that box and be uncomfortable and compete in that arena, it's going to be very difficult for you to succeed, especially against the type of arsenal that players are facing now in the game with, you know, the extra velocity and the tighter spin on breaking balls and pitchers' abilities to tunnel their pitches, you know, and, and – I just really believe we've made a big jump on the pitching end. Um, And the confidence level of hitters is really got to remain high. You know, so for me, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. Uh, You can't have an identity crisis as a hitter. You have to know who you are, what your skill set will allow you to do. And then you got to be able to adjust on the fly, pitch to pitch, situation to situation can you talk about contact spot i know you i've heard you talk about it before uh where you want guys to make contact where you're what is the mindset uh to the hitting part of it so you're referring to contact points right i definitely am okay so obviously there are there are certain pitches in certain locations of the zone that you're going to have success if you can get to them in those spots on a consistent basis. So obviously the further a ball away is away from you and the lower in the zone it is, the further away it is from your eyes. And that's the ball that's the most difficult to hit. Uh, That's the one that you're going to want to see the deepest or as long as possible. As the ball begins to move closer to you, you need to be able to get that ball a little bit more out in front and not as deep. And obviously, working from the outside in, the further in that ball is, the further more you want to get that contact point out in front of home plate where you could do some damage with it. Okay, so talk about, you you know, you're talking to kids and their kids are always looking for uh, drills to do and things that they can do to make themselves better. What are some of the things that you do at Wagner with your hitters that you're trying to help to make better? Well, I think, I think one of the main things that a lot of hitters that I see lack is balance. Like they, a lot of guys don't have good, comfortable, strong bases in the box. 
you know, we're in a, a generation of a lot of open stance hitters, which creates a lot of imbalance for guys. So I, I think like one of the one of the biggest starting points for me is getting guys in a good athletic, comfortable, balanced position where they can begin to work from. How do you teach guys to get started? Get started as far as what a load or as far as just yeah, all the things that go into hitting, you know, seeing the ball, getting your body started, getting to, to strike foot. I mean, what are, what are the things that you work on with your kids and how to do that? Well, I, I think one of the biggest things is we try to get the baseball moving as much as, we, as possible for them and try to get them to be athletic with the baseball moving. Uh, when we do use a tee, we're using it for specific things, but really I, wa- I want them to see the baseball moving a lot, which is going to help them kind of loosen up and be athletic. Whether okay, that, whether yeah, that's ahead. with some underhand toss, some overhand toss, uh, some BP, some machine work, um, that's the kind of stuff that we're going to focus on with them is getting the baseball moving so that they can get some rhythm and some timing down. So when you're out recruiting a player uh, for Wagner and you're going to see this guy hit, what are the, the important things that he's yet you want to see when you go see a player that's going to play for you? You know, you're looking for bat speed. Um, if you're not, if you can't hit the fastball, you're not going to be able to play this game for long. So bat speed is, is a really paramount thing that I'm looking for. I'm looking for a short, efficient swing path, uh, you know, or somebody who shows me that they can, they can do it at times. And then it's our job to kind of coach it out a little bit more consistently from them. I'm looking for some physicality, some athleticism uh, to where they can make, they're going to be able to have some adjustability in their swing as they begin to face better pitching. Um, I'm looking for some consistent contact on guys, guys that have good rhythm that show that they can be on time. They have barrel awareness with the ability to, consistently put the barrel on the baseball um looking for backspin guys as opposed to guys that top spin the baseball i think it's a really important thing that's overlooked in in this generation of hitters you see so, you see more and more guys top spinning baseballs as opposed to backspinning baseballs so that's something that i'm, I'm going to look for as well uh strike zone discipline you know, does a guy have an awareness of what the strike zone is and what's a chase pitch and being able to to remain confident and disciplined enough in the box not to expand that zone, uh, which is obviously going to help him make more consistent contact. Um, I'd like to see hitters with a general plan of attack. You know, with younger high school hitters, their approaches aren't going to be as refined as a senior in college, but you want to see a guy that has an idea of what he's looking to do in the box. To me, that's, that's another very important factor. And then another one of the most overlooked one are I'm looking for situational awareness. So I need guys to be able to handle the bat in the situation 
that the game is calling for them at that moment. If that makes sense, Butch. You know, you might get up with a man on second and nobody out, and your job before two strikes is to try to drive that guy in. And when you get to two strikes, your job is, at minimal, try to get that guy over to third base with less than two outs. And I think a a lot of hitters in this day and age, they're more concerned with getting the hit as opposed to doing what the game is asking them to do at that particular moment. That's great stuff. Situational awareness. Um, We haven't had too many people really talk about that, and you just brought it up. That's great stuff. You know, you you use the word backspin and topspin. Can you? There's a lot of people that probably don't know what that means. Can you explain that and what you mean by backspin and how to create backspin and what what causes topspin? Well, a lot of this uphill plane swinging, let me say extreme uphill plane swinging, is causing hitters to hit a lot more at the top of the baseball, which in turn, as you'll see the contact and the ball flight, you'll see baseballs that look, when they, when they come off the bat, they look like they're going to d- go deep in the outfield and they're kind of dying over the shortstop's head. And, and coming down on a sharp angle. Whereas the backspin, the backspin ball is going to be a baseball that's going to carry a little bit further out into the outfield. Um, when you create backspin, you're obviously going to create distance, which is going to create power. Um, topspin, you're going to be limited on distance, which is going to limit you on power for the most part. Craig, when you, when you, in today's age of analytics and measurements, what what are you know if you were to tell kids uh, that come to your program that are analytics that you look at that are important? What what are those analytics that you look at? You know what? I think it's the college game, and I think it's got to be contact. I think guys have to have a more contact oriented approach and be able to put the baseball in play more consistently. You know, and, and I think when you have physicality and you have athleticism and you have some good technique and you can make consistent contact, you can do more damage as a hitter. The swing and miss is not going to get you production. Um, that extreme uphill swing plane, it may get you, you know, a couple of home runs here and there, but at the end of the day, it's not going to get you that consistent bat path that you need to be successful at this game and, and be able to have a chance to, to really be the player that you need to be. Do you think um, hitters are born or can hitters be made? Tough question. Um, you know, when you when you look at when you look at guys like Mike Trout, you know, there, there's a, a certain level of natural God-given ability there, right? Miguel Cabrera. You know, some of these guys are all born to just hit, and they have a natural rhythm and sense of timing um, along with physical skills that translates 
to where you could say, hey, this guy was like born to hit. But I do think you could make hitters also. I think you could build hitters. You may not build hitters like Mike Trout or Shohei Atani, but I think you can build hitters like Dustin Pedroia, you know, uh, who can get the most out of his ability and perform at an above average level or average level uh, and be a really productive player with limited physical ability. Can you talk about, um, you know, the obviously the game's always going to change. It's always going to evolve. Hopefully it's always going to get better. In the last couple weeks uh, at the major league level and at, at the JC level, there's been things that have happened that, you know, uh, that, you know, you just don't want to think of as baseball stuff. You know, an 11-2 game, we're, we're base hit bunting in an 11-2 game in the sixth inning. Uh a guy hits a home run and is running around the bases, and then uh, a pitcher attacks him when he's rounding third base. What What's your feeling about all this, this stuff that's going on with baseball? Well, not to polarize the event at, at Weatherford College, but, you know, this past week with the pitcher, you know, running, taking a run at, at the hitter, this is the kind of stuff that does not belong in our game. Um and I and I think I think the more this generation of players are exposed on social media, uh, I believe the more and more it's become prevalent in our game, and it should never it shouldn't exist in our game. Um, there's nothing wrong with being competitive and being fiery against a competitor, but when you're personally attacking someone verbally, uh, and then in reaction physically attacking someone based on that verbal attack. I think it's a line that all of us need to step back from and look at and really evaluate what we encourage or condone or like or share or retweet in, in the Twitterverse or on Instagram. I think it's really, really important. And I think there's a, a huge responsibility on our shoulders as coaches and as mentors to young players that this stuff isn't okay. And there isn't a place for it in our game. And, you know, there's always been false bravado when you're dealing with, you know, let's say 15 to 22 year olds. There's always been a high level of machoism. There's always been, you know, the element of, I don't want to say, the trash talking, right? But it just seems like we're in a, a time and place where players do not have any filters anymore. And they don't know how to they don't know how to cope with adversity in a game other than personally attacking another player, either verbally or physically. So we're either looking to have an altercation or we're looking to insult. And, and I think we're at a really we're at a really, really big tipping point in the game. Uh, and I think it's something we need to get under control. You know, so, let me ask you this. Since this is going on, it's, it's going on all over the country. It's not just in one area. How, how can youth coaches do a better job of, you know, getting team 
over individual back into the game? Well, you know, coaches have a huge responsibility in that, without a doubt. But to me, I think it begins at home with the parenting. Um, it's one thing what a coach will allow you to get away with. It's another thing what your parents will allow you to get away with. And, and to me, I think the from a parental standpoint, I, I think it really needs to begin there. Um, and then the coaches have to obviously hold the line. Now, we're obviously in, a, in an era of this game right now where it's a very, it's a very heavy pay-to-play environment. And I think that's taken a lot of power away from coaches from a discipline standpoint. It's very difficult now to pull a player out of a game when it doesn't run a hard 90 on a pop-up because mom and dad wrote a check. Um, and that, and that coach is in business. Uh, so I, I think, I think that part of it is really something that's infiltrated the game and it's kind of taken a lot of power away from coaches being able to discipline, discipline players. Well, then how you, you spent a lot of years in youth baseball and developing programs in New York city. How do you discipline without offending? Well, and that's just it. Um, every time you do discipline, it's taken, it's taken as offensive, right? Because I think, especially at the youth age, the parents are afraid to let their kids fail. And they're afraid to let them deal with consequences. They don't want them to hurt. They don't want them to be upset. They don't want them to cry. And sometimes that's the best thing for them. They need to, they need to be disciplined by somebody else so that they understand that's not accepted. It's not acceptable. And it's one of the first things that I said to my team this year in our first meeting, there's acceptable behavior and there's unacceptable behavior. Everything else in the middle is in play. Have your personality, be yourself, enjoy the game, have fun, but understand what the boundaries are. And, and, and I think we're at a place where the boundaries, there's not enough clarity on the boundaries for players. How do we get boundaries? I mean, does it have to do you, I mean, I know you've talked about the parents, but I mean, there's, there's a huge amount of ego involved here with, with this and these division one scholarships, how can we, how can we as a as youth baseball coaches do a better job of controlling the parents? Well, I think what what you're doing here with Walter and with Masters of Baseball in general, I think it's a great start. The problem is the people that usually give you the best advice are the ones that we listen to the least, and it's a mind boggling thing to me, you know, and I've experienced it personally with my own nephew when he was going through the recruiting process and I was giving him honest feedback and truth. 
it was hard for my own family to accept that. So <clears throat> I think it's a difficult thing for parents. It's not an easy job. Um, but I think what parents need to do is get out and educate themselves a little bit more through programs like this and listening to coaches like myself that come on and listening to what they're saying, taking it and applying it. Because I think a lot of people are afraid to go against the grain and the grain of the game right now is not for the betterment of the players or for the betterment of team. You know, we're in a, we're in a showcase minded environment and we're in the world of social media and that's really changed the playing field. Talk about how social media, you know, since you're, you, I mean, you've been a coach for 28 years and you did, you spent a lot of time in, in youth baseball. Talk about what social media has changed about our game. Well, it's obviously when you're talking about high school aged students, it's one of the most instant ways that they can highlight themselves to coaches like myself. So I think it begins when you when you create that Twitter account, you create that Instagram account. It's okay. I created the account, but the account, but how am I going to use it? What's my purpose of this account? So if you were to go to my Twitter or Instagram account, all I really do on those accounts is highlight players. I, I'm a music guy. I love music. And I'm a foodie. So my Instagram and my Twitter is basically formatted around baseball, music, and food. I try to limit the personal opinion stuff at time to time, even I get sucked into it like we all do. But at the end of the day, I think it's what's your plan of attack for your social media and what do you want to put out there and what don't you want to put out there? And, and I think people should go out and seek accounts like accounts and kind of see, Hey, who's doing a good job. Who's doing a bad job. Who do I want to emulate? Who don't I want to emulate? And how do I put my own twist on it in a positive manner? That's great stuff. Now, let's, let's talk about makeup. And um, what are you seeing from the players that you're getting out of high school that are coming to your program? Uh, how much time do you have to spend developing the mind part of the game and their makeup? Uh, I, I think the, I don't ever think the mind is, you know, ever at its fullest potential, right? Even when you're doing a great job with it, I always think there's more room for growth, right? So it's kind of like, it's, it's something that's unachievable to me because you should always have a growth mindset and be able to learn more. I don't think we ever stop learning, right? But the players that I'm seeing, you know, in all programs all over the country at different levels, I think a lot of these players, they don't have a realistic idea of what they're getting themselves into until they're in it. 
And then when they're in it, they don't have the coping skills to be able to handle the failure that gets thrown their way in a very quick and short amount of time. So I think, I think it's really important that, and especially coming out of COVID, where a lot of these kids haven't played a tremendous amount in the past two, two and a half years, a lot of them haven't physically developed to where they need to be. And I think more, more than ever, you have to really have more patience with your players from a mental standpoint and understand where they're coming from and what they've been through in the past couple of years. Um, I think you have to catch yourself at times where you want to jump at a guy and you got to be able, you know, to pull back and understand what has that guy gone through in the last couple of years that has put him in the position to think, feel, act the way he's, he is right now. And, and I think if you don't, if you're not able to do that right now, you're going to have a very difficult time coaching, coaching players. Because what we've gone through in the past couple of years, you know, has had an effect on all of us, players and, and coaches. You know, um, it's something that none of us have ever experienced before. So I think more than anything, Butch, you, you got to really have a patient approach with these guys, with their mindset. You have to push them, but you got to know when you got to pull off the gas. Um because these guys are a little bit of a different group right now. I want to ask you about strengths. Um, can you go through what ideally you would recommend to kids for, I want you to go through a yearly workout, you know, um, how much weights, how much they need to be in the weight room. And like for a season, like a weekly uh, work out what you guys are doing to maintain your strength and build on your strength. So for us right now in season, we're lifting two days a week. Um, you know, and everybody is kind of under the premise that during the season, you want to maintain strength. We want to continue to gain strength in season. Um, you know, we're going to continue to lift heavy Um we're going to change the reps, the sets and that kind of stuff to where we're not putting too much of a load on the bodies. But at the same time, we don't want to stay the same or decrease ever. We want to continually incrementally gain more strength during the season. Um, the bottom line is if you're a high school athlete at this point, and it's always an individual thing, uh, some kids at 14 are dealing with gro growth plate issues, so they have to be very careful what they're doing in a in a weight room. But if you're in if you're in high school, and you're not on some form of really good weight training program with really good professionals, you're going to really limit your chances to be successful in the game long term, especially at the collegiate level. I mean, the collegiate level now is just, it's really physical, very physical. And it's very physical, one, because programs are really taking an interest in their strength training and doing a great job with it. 
but more importantly, the college game has gotten older. So we have teams with 23, soon to be 24-year-olds playing against 18-year-old freshmen. And there's a big difference, you know, between an uh, 18, 19-year-old and a 23-year-old. You know, it's it's not even close. So if these guys aren't on a, a year-round weight training program and beginning in high school and building a real good foundation, um, they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle. And some of the best advice that I give parents or players is spend your money on becoming – the best athlete you possibly can. You need to develop the body. You don't have to worry about going to the hitting coach twice a week for 15 weeks in the wintertime. Spend your time developing your body that when you do go in and begin to wrap up, your skill set's going to be enhanced because you're a better athlete, you're stronger. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't hit. You shouldn't go for pitching lessons, but that's not what's really important, as important. You're going to rep up. You just need to really develop your body and your athleticism more than everything else. Craig, you know, because of the buildup through social media and, you know, the Smiths and Jones is trying to keep up with one another. When, when do you feel is the best time for a student athlete to really be recruited and committed i know it's different for the huge huge programs that are it's so competitive for players you know the elite elite type players but ideally what would be the best for all colleges in the recruiting process i mean i ideally which i don't know if we we live in an ideal world anymore butch but ideally i think the beginning of junior year is when these kids should should really begin to be recruited um and i know if you if you talk to a lot of the college coaches and i know scott's on the call it's very hard to project guys out three four five years in advance so if you're if you're committing a freshman in high school that player's not getting to you for four years it's very difficult to evaluate and say what that guy is going to look like four years from now. It's a very difficult thing. And I'm sure, I'm sure coaches don't really want to be in that position. But like you said, keep it up with the Joneses. If this power five is committing freshmen, then we have to commit freshmen. I mean, I've had conversations with college coaches in different areas of the country who have committed players from our backyard asking me what do we have on the player and I said well you're the one who committed them and their answer is well we offer them because everybody else is offering them and I just don't think that's the way for the game to go I really don't and and at some point I'm going to hope that the ABCA jumps in comes up with a plan of attack through the coaches that we can go to the NCAA with and build a better plan because I think the model that we have right now is, is broken. I really do. I think you're putting unfair pressure on a 14 year old and you're putting 
a lot of pressure on a coach to project guys out four years in advance, three years in advance. I, I think a lot can happen to a young man between freshman year and junior year. Great points. Note. I want to, I want to talk about team now. Um, you know, we go to games every day. We have an idea of what a good team is. What to you in your program is a good team? You know what? I, I think, I think if you have guys that hold each other accountable for the little things, um, I think that's a great starting point, right? Um, I think if you have a team who handles their academic success the right way, I, I think that's another really important factor because guys that handle what they need to do academically and handle their business off the field are usually guys that are going to come into a practice or team environment and fit in a lot better because they don't have stuff hanging over their head, right? Um, I think you have to have players and coaches that have a growth mindset. I think it's really important for guys to understand that they're coming in on a, on a daily basis into the framework of a team with the goal of getting better that day, increment a little, a little bit better each day. Right. Um, I think it's important for players to work hard at being great teammates. Um, one of the things that I tell our guys all the time is if you care about the guy on the left and the right of you more than you care about what's going on with yourself, that's going to help us be a better a better team than you just having individual success and and not caring about what's going on with other players. Um, I think that care gene is a really important thing and it, and it's it's harder and harder to find in this showcase environment that we're in. Um, I think you got to put forth a great effort on a daily basis, you know, on the field, off the field, you know, within the campus community, you know, with the administrators, with your academic advisors. Um, I think that's really important piece of it. And, and, and really one of the biggest things for me is you got to show respect for the logo. Like that logo that you're wearing on the front of your uniform represents a great opportunity that you have. And, and I think one of the biggest challenges is to get these players um, to understand that they're bigger than something than themselves. And that by being a little bit more selfless, they're going to have a better experience and get more out of it and grow as a person and as a player. When, when Craig, when you talk about great teammate, uh, selfless, uh, you think that's an easy thing for guys to do, or does it have to be shown by veteran guys and coach for them to buy into that in today's individual world? I think, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, 
I think the players, the older players have to have to grab a guy and say, Hey, we don't do that around here. Right. Um, I think a coach has to be able to lay guidelines down and be able to consistently enforce them when they're, when they're breached. Um, I think you need that positive influence within the team from not only the coaches, but the players as well. I, I think it's a really important piece. Let's, let's talk about showcasing a little. You've mentioned it about three or four times, and I don't want to kill the showcase people because uh, a lot of people use the information uh, they get from showcases. But I want you to talk about what is good because, you know, there's a lot of parents and they're, they're trying to figure out how they're going to spend their money, what's useful in spending their money. Can you talk about what, when a player is probably ready to go to a showcase and why sometimes it's not really good to go to a showcase? Well, I think I'm not, I'm not opposed to showcases. I just want to make that clear. Uh, we attend them. Uh, I think they, they have a significant amount of value, but they're one piece of the puzzle. Uh, I think gameplay ultimately makes or should make decisions for you on players. I think it's really important to see you guys in, in game. Um, I think from a showcase standpoint, Butch, when people call me and go, hey, what do you think about this event? Is this good for me to send my son to? My first question is, well, when he gets there, how is he going to perform? So when he lines up to run the 60, is he going to run a respectable time? You know, when he's throwing from the outfield, has he consistently been throwing from the outfield and working on building arm strength and accuracy with his throws? Um, does he take consistent BP on the field to where when you get in a showcase environment, you're going to be able to look the part? I think more people showcase because other people are doing it and they're not doing it when it's the right time for their child. And I think this also comes back down to parents and players listening to qualified individuals and getting an honest evaluation as to where they are at that point before they begin to spend the money. And, you know, there's a couple approaches every year Every, every week, I mean, basically in this, in this environment we're in, it's almost daily in the summer. There's some kid that comes along that you haven't heard about that shows you a very high skill level. Um, and that kid may have not had that six months ago. So players get better at different points. But if you're not training yourself to be able to go out and hit the mark, at those showcase events for the specific things that they're asking you to do during the showcase, you just, you might as well just drive down the highway, open your windows and, and throw the money out the window because what are you showcasing that you can't do certain things that coaches are looking for? It's, um, it's another one of those keeping up with the Joneses things that, you know, we're dealing with right now. 
Okay, let me ask you this. Let's talk about tools and tools for position. You know, every kid wants to play shortstop, center field. Uh, they want to pitch. What I want you to tell the parents and these kids that are listening tonight, what are the things they have to do to be a college shortstop, to be a college center fielder? What are some of the tools that they have to have to be a corner position player so they all understand it so that, you know, role finding a role is so important. And I think when these kids hear it from college coaches like yourself, like big time, you know, like the coach Corbin's the savages. And when they break it down, it's easier for these kids to understand. So can you break it down how you look at it? You know, when, when you're talking about middle infielders, you know, you're looking with guys, you're looking for guys that, you know, have a high level of athleticism and body control, guys that can get to the ball quick, field it cleanly, get rid of it quickly, right? Um, you know, when you're looking at a shortstop, a lot of people will be focused on the arm strength, right? For me, I'm looking at the feet, I'm looking at the hands, I'm looking at the transfers, um, and then I'm looking at the arm strength. Uh, and the ability for a guy to be able to throw from different angles, right? Because the position creates a lot of different plays that are going to call for you to be able to throw the baseball from different angles. So the arm strength doesn't come as much into play as people may think it does. Because if you look at guys like David Eckstein, right, who is a, a really, really good major league shortstop, he got to it quick. He fielded it cleanly. He got rid of it fast. Nobody ever talked about how strong his arm was. Am I correct, Butch? You are super correct. He made the routine routine. He made the routine routine. Every once in a while, if you go in that hole and you can fire that ball across the infield, does, does it help us? Absolutely. Is it paramount? No. You know, you, you are a cross-checker for a bunch of years. How many guys did you really see go deep in that hole and be able to make that play? You know, not on a many. consistent basis. Not, not many. many. That's why there's not many shortstops in the world, right? And, and that's why guys, guys that are in the game at the highest level, they were able to get there and play there because they were the few guys that can do it. But if you really, if you look a lot in Major League Baseball over the years, it's been the Ozzie Smiths, the Gary Templetons, you know, guys like that that were that played the position at a very high level that weren't six foot four, two hundred and twenty pound guys with ninety seven mile an hour arm strength across the infield. You know, and I, you could correct me if you think I'm wrong, but guys like A Rod had kind of transformed that position. No, I think you're right. I think baseball has become gone away from the fundamentals and it's totally gone offensive. It has. And like we were, we were speaking the other day where for years when you were evaluating catchers, you were looking for arm strength. You know, now you're looking for power number one, right? Like the, the paradigm has shifted, you know, and, so there has been a, a huge shift in the game and a change and, and what you're looking for in evaluating players. 
and I don't know if it's a good thing. I don't know if it's a bad thing. I think on certain things it's it's bad and some is good. I think there's some good in, in everything, right? Um, but I think it's really important for people to educate themselves on what coaches are really looking for or what the positions you know are really meant to be. So with your corner guys, you're going to you're going to look you're going to look for guys that you know people think, "Hey, you can put the big you can pick, put the big burly guy at first. But at the end of the day, if you look in the big leagues, some of your best athletes on the field are at first base. And some of your best defenders are at first base. And I think your highest paid player's annual salary is at first base. Am I correct? You are correct, correct. So... So I think people need to understand, like, you just don't have to be a big guy that has power and you're automatically a first and third baseman. I mean, first base is as much a reaction position as third base is. So I, I think fielders on both, both corners in the infield, they got to be the same guy almost. They have to be the same guy almost. You know, you could get away with probably a little less at first, but – at the end of the day, you know, you better be athletic and you better have the ability to be a run producer and hit with some power. Same thing in your corner outfield spots. And obviously in the middle of your field, you want your highly skilled players. You want your guys that, you know, are going to run, play defense. Um, I think in today's game, there's more speed at the college level all over the field. Uh, than maybe it was 20 years ago. I think 20 years ago, you got away with the big, big, strong guys. Um, I think now there's a lot more athleticism in the game in general, which has brought more of a speed element to the game. Uh, and I think there's a lot more running at the college level, obviously. So, you know, I think as a parent or as a player, I think you got to get out. You got to watch the game and see what it looks like. And what are what are the current players that are playing? What do they look like at the college level? You know, and I guarantee you, if you ask ninety percent of the parents that have, you know, a player currently playing in high school, ninety percent of them will tell you they haven't been to a college game. But a hundred percent of them will tell you what programs their son could play at without ever seeing it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, let's, I want you to talk about this, this phony competitor thing, you know, where these kids today, I mean, the mindset, you know, I, I am 60 years old, but the mindset back in my day was that when you got the ball and you were going the hill, you were going nine innings. Nobody was going to wrestle the ball from you because you were going nine innings. I see a different type of kid now. Um, you know, I, I hate to call them phony competitors, but what, what would you call uh, the kid's competitive nature today? Well, I think, I think, the expectations have changed. So in your day, you were expected you were expected to go nine, right? There was, hey, there's no bullpen today. That was the environment, right? The environment now is, 
hey, you got to be good for one or two innings, and then I got to get you out because I got to put another guy in. Um, so I think these, the players and the pitchers in general, they're not conditioned to learn how to pace themselves and pitch. And they're just coming in, airing it out for one, two innings, and they're getting out. They're getting out, they're getting taken out of the game, you know, because we have to throw five guys today in this one game or, you know, everybody's got to get in this weekend to throw. And, and I think that part of it is really hurting our game. And you see it trickling up, you know, to the big league level, right? Like the big league game has become a collection of one inning pitchers, you know, starters are expected to hopefully go four or five innings and then we're going to turn it over, you know, to four different guys to finish it. Right. Um, but if you really look, what is the shelf life of those guys that are being used at the major league level at a bullpen one inning, three times a week, you know, and I'll use, I use Dellen Batances as an example. Della Batances was an all-star level relief pitcher, you know, and then the Yankees threw him three or four years in a row of 75 plus, you know, into the 80 appearances. And like, he's never been the same, you know, and I think the shelf life of the relievers, it's so much shorter now because of the high velocity, the high intensity, the higher level of effort that they they're putting into throwing the baseball, you know, but it's become very disposable. Pitching has become, has gone from being something that was really coveted to something that is disposable. And I think that really affects the competitive nature of guys, Butch. And, and I think, I think it's easier to feel better about yourself when you only have to get three guys out. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, it makes tons of sense. I want to ask you, you know, there's, this is the toughest uh, thing for me to have to deal with, you know, when you're trying to, you always want to be honest with kids. You want to give them the straight answer. You want to be fair. And you, you understand that they all have dreams and, and goals to where they want to go. And you never want to, to, to take that away from them. But as far as velocity goes, can you explain to the people on this call, um, you know, what, what a velocity has to be, you know, where D one colleges are looking, uh, is it, you looking for pitchability? Are you looking for secondary pitches, but where, before you'll start really considering a guy, what are the components that he has to have from a velocity delivery arm action standpoint? Well, and again, it, it may depend on the age of a player, right? So the expectation of what a guy should be throwing at 14 is different than what he should be throwing at 16 or 18, right? So I think, I think that part of it is when did you see that player? You know, if you see him at 14 and he's throwing 80 miles an hour, you're like, that's pretty good. For a 14-year-old, if you see him at 17 throwing 80, you're like, that guy's not in the ballpark for us, right? So so I think the, the velocity number 
it, it just kind of depends on when you when you're first seeing the player, and maybe when you're seeing them for the second time or the third time, has he continued to make progress? Obviously, I would say a starting point when a, a kid's in the in his junior year is going to be in the mid eighties, um, and you're going to be looking for a clean, you know, efficient arm arm path if you can. One that is going to tend to make you believe that a guy's got a better chance of staying healthy. Um, you could also predict a little bit more velocity with that. Body type's important. You know, uh, tall, skinny guys, you know, they may have slow arms at, at 15, 16, but when that guy gains 30 pounds, all of a sudden that arm speeds up and that skinny guy's thrown a little bit harder now, right? So I think you got to be able to project that, right? And, like, I had a young man who's in the big leagues with the Milwaukee Brewers named Justin Topa, and Topa was an infielder. And when I recruited him, I said, you're a pitcher, and not only are you a pitcher, you're a pitcher that's going to be worth some money one day. You know, and he kind of looked at me, you know, strange, and I said, if you want to make the journey to be a pitcher, Will, I'll turn you into a pitcher. And we did. And, you know, there was a guy throwing 83, 84 miles an hour, but he was six foot four. He was skinny. He was super athletic. And the arm was just pretty as can be. So you knew when we add strength, when we clean the delivery up, we get him on the long toss, um, we tweak some things. This guy's going to, he's going to bust out. And he did. Um, so I would say if you're in the mid-80s, you know, in, in junior year, I think that's a guy that, you know, you got to really begin to pay a lot of it, a lot more attention to. Um, and if he has some projectability in the body and the arm path. Good stuff. Hey, Walter, you got anything for old Nono? Because I got one more question for him, and then we're out of here. All I want to say is, Absolutely, if you're a parent or student-athlete, what you have heard tonight from Coach Noto, I hope you took notes. I hope you find your way back to the podcast to go back through it. Candid, honest, factual, actual information that parents need to hear for their student-athletes. Craig, absolutely brilliant tonight. Brilliant. Well, I appreciate that, and you know me, guys. I, I don't really like to do stuff like this. I'm I'm not big on this stuff. I'm I'm not into touting myself, and um, I could be kind of heavy, heavily opinionated. So I'm I'm probably holding back on some things that that I really want to say, um, because I don't think I don't think the game is in the best place that it can be, and I think as ambassadors of the game, um. Uh, the coaches, uh, and I think the parents really need to take a bigger step in being ambassadors for the game as well and, and helping understand the job that a coach has and how difficult it is to make everybody happy, which is impossible, right? Um, Butch, one of the things you had, you had asked me about, like being a good teammate, uh, and I went through a, a bunch of bullet points on it, but 
one of the biggest things really is just a guy being dependable. Like we need dependable people in our program. If we don't have dependable, good people in our program, we don't have a shot, you know, and, and I, I'll talk about our current team just a little bit. We played a very difficult schedule early in the year. You know, some people were saying it was the 14th toughest strength of schedule in the first five weeks of the season, you know, it included Vanderbilt and USC, you know, and, and college at Charleston and East Tennessee state. And, you know, we played some really, really good opponents early with a very young team. And I rolled the dice when I had the opportunity to go to USC and Vanderbilt, knowing that, you know, we're going to be up against it against some really, really good, good programs with the young team. But knowing that I had really good people in our locker room and I had guys that had the right mindset, I knew if we went out and we went 1-13 in those games, I think like we did, that it wasn't going to destroy our ball club. It was going to help us get better. And if you looked at our numbers in the first 15 games of the year, they probably weren't very impressive. And if you look at them now overall, they're probably not that, that impressive. But when we got into conference, we're second in the league offensively. You know, average-wise, power number-wise, production-wise. You know, and you look at our pitching with a weekend rotation of three freshmen. And we're third or fourth in the league in pitching. So that tough schedule and the struggle – and the look of the, the record not being where people would perceive it as being a good ball club, that's kind of flipped. And, you know, we're right in the mix for the playoff hunt right now. So it's translated for us, you know, getting out and playing a tough, a tough schedule, but it would have never been possible if I didn't think that we had the guys that could handle the struggle that we were going to endure early in the year. That's great stuff. I got one more question. I want to uh, tell you, thank you so much for your time tonight. I've been lucky enough to know you for a lot of years. You are a real guy. You treat people with uh, great respect. And uh, just like Walter, I thought what you shared tonight with these kids was so candid. And I know that you could even be more candid than you were, uh, but you you were you were out you were outstanding. My last question for you is what I ask everyone that uh, comes on our clinic. And if you could give any of these families any advice for their process through the youth baseball environment to getting to college, whether it be JC, D three, D two, NAIA, D one. What is the advice that you would give these families? Well, I think ultimately, if we're talking from a recruiting standpoint, right, Butch, you know, or let me let me back that up from a college selection, pro, you know, process, right? I think if you're going to make mistakes, the mistakes should be your own. I, I think. I think you have to do your own research. You have to 
educate yourself and put the time into learning the landscape of what you're looking to get yourself into. And one of my philosophies in life in general is whatever it is that I'm going to get involved with, I, I figure out what the landscape of it is. And I figure out what is the worst part of that landscape. And if I can deal with the worst part of it, then it's a good decision for me. And, and I think more and more families are not take, taking as much ownership in the decision-making process. And, and they're not putting the time in to research, ask questions, and they're just listening to what other parents or other coaches are telling them that they should do. I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to some of that advice. You should, but you should research, educate yourself, and come to a decision that if it doesn't work out for you, you're comfortable with it. You could live with it, make an adjustment, and move forward. So really the biggest thing, you know, if you're going to make a mistake, make sure it's your own mistake, that you're not just putting your faith blindly into somebody else to dictate the future of your child. Craig, unreal. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Wish you the best of luck. I look forward to seeing you this summer at some point and yep. uh, eating over some Italiano. Absolutely. Uh, if you have those places up in North Cal- Northern California. <laughs> I can't find them like you can in Brooklyn, but I'm still looking, brother. You know, Butch, I've been recruiting in California for 15, 16 years. And the first five years we went out there, we went to Italian restaurants and we would finish eating and going, man, this isn't very good. And then we had an epiphany one day that if you're in Southern California and you're not eating Mexican every meal, you're making a really poor decision. So, um, (laughs) You know, That's I've learned advice. over the years. I've learned over the years to when when in California eat Mexican. Yeah, that's good advice because it is fantastic. It is. Hey guys, thank you for uh, joining the show tonight. Uh, I encourage you to come back next Sunday. We got Coach McMullen from the University of Virginia will be here with us. He's the associate head coach that's been at Virginia for many years and, you know, coached a lot of big league players and we're going to get down and dirty with coach McMullen. So I look forward to you guys having a great week. Thanks for joining us tonight and see you later, everybody.